Let's continue to worship in prayer. God, it is good. It is good to come together as a body of believers, to lift up our voices, to give you the praise that you deserve. You are truly great indeed. You are really beyond description. We are given indications in your word through your names about who you are. You're the God of all power, all knowledge. You're the God that sees all, the God that is everywhere present, the God of righteousness and justice, the God who is holy, the God who is love, slow to anger and quick to forgive, compassionate and tender God, and so many other truths about who you are. Thank you. Lord, the verse, the third verse of that hymn, every time I hear it or sing it, it just really overwhelms me when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die to take away my sin. so far beyond my ability to understand why you would do that but I know that you did we know Lord and we're here to thank you for that and then rejoice in the complimentary promise which is yes he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all Lord, we're here as a needy people, and you know each life, each need, needed according to your riches in Christ. Bless the other churches around this city that are gathering in the name of Christ. Move among them in power. Save souls today and grow believers today. seated. One real quick additional announcement here. On the 24th of this month, just uh, under two weeks, we've got our father-daughter banquet coming up. There's a worship folder announcement regarding that. But dads, if you have not yet signed up for that, I am imploring you. I am pleading with you to do that and plan on bringing your daughter, whether she is just beginning life or whether she has a family of her own. It will be a meaningful evening opportunity for you to just express your love for your daughter. Uh, I was in a, in a vehicle uh, this week, my truck driving a friend of our daughters around and they were talking about this banquet. They're excited about it. My daughters are excited. And they had asked this 
girl to attend, and she said, oh, my dad won't like going to something like that where he may have to dress up. And, but, oh, I would love to go, she said. Oh, come on, Dad. Come on, dads. Do it for your daughter. Do it to make an impact for your daughter. Be an opportunity for you to get professional pictures taken that night. You'll get a rose for her, a good meal. There'll be a program. But then kind of a key point of that night is that you will get a chance to enter into a covenant relationship with your daughter. There's a, there'll be a covenant form printed out. You can discuss that with her, again, regardless of what age that she is. It's based upon the call of God and his word for you as a father. So I encourage you to come uh, and be a part of that. This morning we've got, you get a, you get a, a much needed break from me this morning. Elder Nate Turner is going to come. Nate, do you want this? Yes, okay. please. He's going to come and break the word of God to us this morning. God bless you, brother. Thank you. Well, good morning. Thanks for joining me on my second round of my adventure. Some of you were here the first time where I delved into the deep water of alcohol. People were a little amazed I was willing to do that the very first time out. And so now I get to delve into deeper water. And hopefully it goes as well as it went first service. And just so you understand, just a little bit about my background, since many of you made haven't been here before. I am one of the elders. I also serve with the greeters out front. That's where I get to meet most people. I also serve in the bathroom cleaning stuff up and in the kitchen doing dishes and a variety of things. Those are the things I really enjoy. This is not really one of them, even though people tell me, oh, you do such a great job. I really never feel that way. Right now, as I said, first service, Elvis is right in my knee. It's just a shaking. <laughs> okay. I get way nervous, and because of that, I may say something in a way that you hear because of the tone I use or the phrasing or the way it's put out there, different than what I meant. And if you hear something you're concerned about, please come talk to me, okay? Please come talk to me. Because today's topic, the main topic, we're going to hit several things, but the main topic is kind of touchy to deal with, okay? It's a tough deal, okay? Reality, though, it's an important one. We, I'm not going to take one scripture and just bust it down because that's not me and I'm not gifted in that. I am a chemistry physics teacher. That's what I do most of the time, every day of the week pretty much. Even on the summers, I'm knocking stuff out. So that's my realm. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to launch off with a verse, 1 Corinthians 7.28. And my preference is, is if you brought your Bible, look it up. Do not get in the habit of coming here Sunday and knowing that we're going to put it on the screen. Because you might be like some of my young teachers. And I say that and some of you look at me and say, you're not that old. I'm not exactly that young. Luckily, my dad has a little bit of Native American in him and that rubbed off. And I'm not aging as fast as some others. He also looks way young still for his age. So it's kind of nice. But reality, some of my young teachers, we had a power outage at South High School one time at the beginning of the morning. And it lasted for like an hour and a half. Our generator didn't fire up. They've, they've put generators at high schools lately so that we can have some emergency power. And lots of them were just frantic because the photocopier didn't work. The overhead projector didn't work. What are you going to do? The lights are off. I can teach in the dark. Okay? They may not be able to write anything down, but I can teach in the dark. 
It's a reality. It may not be there. So bring your Bible, dig into it, and double-check what I say. Okay, just don't take it for certain that what I said was put in there correctly or accurately or I'm using it right. Okay, don't be misled. Even by someone with good intentions, it uses something in error. So dig into it. So 1 Corinthians 7.28 says, But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Now, yes, Valentine's is Tuesday for you, you guys that haven't noticed those ads in between your sports broadcasts. It is Tuesday. So, yes, we're going to deal with marriage today. But in reality, it's not just marriage. We have a huge group, very, very functional, very, very dedicated group. Opened my house up to them on Super Bowl. It was an awesome time of getting together, getting to meet some folks I don't normally get to interact with. They serve like the downtown soup kitchen. They're going to be coming down, I think it's the 28th, to do some well needed cleaning and they're single this message is not just for the married folks in the room okay it's for everybody there's gonna be pieces for everybody so just don't automatically do what we do and guys do it really well we have great hearing no matter what you hear we can turn you off in a heartbeat okay so please don't do that but first disclaimer actually the only disclaimer i believe my wife is my greatest blessing that I've ever received from Christ other than my salvation, okay? She is the top of my world. Our marriage, most important thing to me, we got going. Reality, it's really easy not to have that demonstrated, and I don't want that to happen. It's like we went to a weekend to remember once. We had a pair of preachers and their wives. They both did a presentation. One of them, awesome talked about his wife in a way that I want to be able to do. The other one, not so good. I didn't want to be him. I felt bad for his wife because he's saying things and giving information that was not really that good. And the ladies on their private discussion, while the guys were over here talking to guy stuff, and ladies, the wives talked about it because the one wife wants to be the other wife. So I don't want that to ever happen. I don't want to be that guy, okay? So you need to know marriage is way important to me. And my wife, she was here for a service. She's taking her dad to lunch because it's his birthday coming up shortly, and the whole family's doing this thing. So she's not here this time to double-check what I say because I got a little lenient. No, she's, she's already well aware of this. She is my priority. So I want you to know that ahead of time. No matter what I share, okay, something comes out wrong. This happens all the time. I teach several periods a day, and every once in a while, a kid has to say, did you mean that? Because it just comes out sometimes wrong. But this verse right here, why is Paul telling us that he wants to spare us? Okay, he wants to spare us. That's like there's a trouble. Okay, there's a problem. He doesn't want you to go down this road. And it's not that all of a sudden he believes Jesus is coming back the next day, so don't waste your time getting married because you're not going to be here that long. You've been here a while, okay? So that's not it. More likely what it is is that you got two people, two very unique people that some of you have this happening now, some of you can remember this, and some of you just have to kind of look way back. But when you first met and started courtship, everything was perfect. They were perfect. You were perfect. Everything was perfect. Nothing could ever go wrong. 
you even tell your parents, they're perfect, we're getting married, they're perfect, and your parents say wonderful, and what they're really meaning is wonderful, you're eventually going to realize that you are different, okay? Reality's going to set in, because you got two unique people, and the differences that we don't see at the moment can eventually come out and drive us apart, and we can hold on to those differences, we can grab hold of them, we get frustrated with each other, it can drive a wedge in us, and what the devil's trying to do in reality Okay, we say that in churches. We don't really mean that I am so important. The devil is spending all his time on me and none on you. Okay, there's only one of him, and I got a lot of helpers. But reality, evil is trying to separate you from your spouse because by destroying you, he destroys a whole bunch of folks around you. Whether it's your children, friends, family members, it just creates a whole lot of destruction. And what God's trying to do is hold you together to keep you functional, to keep you connected, to keep you moving forward in your walk. So you got this whole battle thing going on. Now, in that battle, and more and more recently, even in Christian homes, it's really easy to have all of a sudden battle, 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 separation. Well, we're done. Okay, we'll get divorced. Okay, that's really not the plan. Now, that does not mean, I need you to hear this, this happened with the alcohol sermon too, even though I'll say it, some people take this the wrong way. I am not saying that there is not at times that divorce is necessary. My Bible-believing grandmother, 98, 99 now, had four husbands, buried three of them, one of them she divorced. I was in my 20s at that time, but just there was no way around it. He could not get through his head that he could not be the woman and be okay with that, okay? So she got rid of that one, okay? And that can happen. And even if you enter and have a situation of divorce in your life, that does not mean that God cannot redeem you and or your life. It's not done, okay? Sin, sin, and God's there to redeem us from it, and through his grace we can grow and flourish and as we learned this weekend at the laugh your way to a better marriage presentation that my wife and I and the Baileys put on God can take a horrible mistake that you do and transfer it down here to something totally amazingly beautiful that nobody has a clue how that happened and he used this weekend the idea of David David had five wives Michael was first that wasn't going so well in David's perspective. He even let Michael, if you remember the story, get taken by somebody else as a wife, and he really didn't give a rip and go get her. <laughs> okay, that's kind of a problem. Okay, in case you know, that's a problem. But later, he saw this young lady, lusted after, took her, impregnated her, tried to cover it up, killed off the husband who was a dedicated follower and believer and warrior for David, but had him killed off to try to cover it up, took, him, took her as a wife. Child died. David was totally traumatized. Later had another child with Bathsheba, Bathsheba and that's King Solomon. So God took this thing that was not the greatest decision in the world and totally turned around. So you need to understand, if you have the issue of divorce in your life, that doesn't mean that God can't redeem you and you're done, okay? I want you to know that. I'm not hammering on people that have been through situations, and I don't know yours, and I'm not going to condemn you for something I know nothing about, okay? Next, so relationships between two unique people, one trouble. That's a horrible thing to get over. And then you add in the mix, children. 
children are trouble. Okay, if you don't know now, children are trouble. Why? Because they're a nonstop potential need on you. And uh, they just pull and pull and take and take. And when they're really young, they take a lot. And you think, oh, it's going to be better when they're older. And they're older, they take even more. And they're not even there to take. You're up at midnight waiting around saying, are they ever coming home? And they just, it's nonstop. And it shows up right away. It took one day for me to figure this out. And I didn't really figure it out, but it hit me real quick. My youngest, 1992, was born. I pick him up out of the little plastic thing with the lights on to keep him warm. And instantly I can see my wife. You're not holding it right. You need to support that. Okay, it just starts. You instantly run into a situation where you got a difference of opinion, a difference of doing things, and you got to navigate that. I mean, whether it's cloth diapers or disposable, whether it's they sleep in the bedroom with you, they sleep in the bed with you, they sleep down the hall, how long do you let them cry? Our doctor said 15 minutes. I have no problem. I can tune it out. But that doesn't work for everybody, okay? There's a nonstop opportunity when you have children to run into conflict and trouble that is distracting to your walk with Christ because you're busy dealing with this and you're busy dealing with this destructive nature of conflict that we don't often deal with appropriately. So it just gets in the way. Okay, now at this point, some singles are going, another marriage message. Reality. Most of you are going to be there. Most of us get married. All right? Sooner or later, and you need to be thinking about this. Lots of folks that I meet now get married. They've done nothing to prepare, and then pretty soon it's a train wreck, and they're hoping it can be fixed by some magic thing that goes on. There isn't any magic wand to fix in a marriage. It takes time, effort, and a lot of learning and willingness to grow. So don't tune me out on it. But reality, children do give you the opportunity, and they are a blessing. I love my kids. I got two boys. We had five possibilities, and the real, real, real struggle was losing three of them early on, fortunately, kind of. My wife didn't have that big an issue with it. I was, you know, yes, I'm pretty much a guy's guy. I will do a lot of just out of this world. I feel bad for my mom having to have me as a child. Because there was a lot of things that we just did without thinking and, you know, you might lose an eye, but that was just part of the game and that's okay kind of stuff. It, I know it was tough on her. But reality, losing those kids, oh, it rocked my world. Hers, it's like, oh, yeah, we'll try again. Now, that's not all that bad, but reality, okay, it, it was tough. And having kids were tough and dealing with all the struggles and we're still dealing with it. We got one out. And he'll be coming back, kind of. But the other ones are growing up a couple more years. He'll be off in life. But you've got these nonstop opportunities for trouble in your relationship and troubles in your marriage. You follow that with when you got married, you had mom and dad on this side and mom and dad on that side. And for my wife and I, we were the largest at that time wedding at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Church. It was shortly after it got rebuilt. But her family came up here starting in the 50s, and all the relatives out of Minnesota showed up to go to work. One of them was the very first mechanic on the North Slope, the first well they drilled up there, and lots of them work here now. Most have gotten older and have moved out of state, retired. Some of their 
kids and nephews, nieces that are around, but we've got a pretty big family on that side. My side, my grandmother got here in 1933, I would think it was. Lots of them stayed here for a long time. Now most of them have also decided that cold is not part of their plan for the rest of their life and have moved on, but we still got several big portions of the family. My own parents live in the state, sister, my wife's two sisters' parents live here, so we got this extended family thing. Some of you have extended family and they're a little ways away. It's not the same when they're right there, okay? It causes some stress, sometimes some huge stress. Early on, when my oldest was three years old, and in case this is the one to record, Mom, I'm trying to be honoring. Please, I know she's going to listen to it. She already called me from Homer and said she wanted to know as soon as it got put online so she could listen. But my son was three. I had surgery, okay? My youngest was just a baby. We had lost another potential child. We'd gone through some stresses and strains. My sister was moving. She had a brand-new baby. She was a single mom. She was moving. My mom was up. She wanted help moving her, and we were going to watch my nephew. We were thinking they were bringing him over. They were thinking we were going to get him. We never went and got him. They never brought him over. It caused some stress and strain. Mom was a little mad. And she showed up at my house to tell us about it. And it got to the point where she got a little fired up on my wife. And I had to say, well, you cannot talk to my wife that way. You need to leave. That's tough. Modern guys pretty much would sit there and say, go work it out. Okay, and just go with it. Reality, I was raised by my dad pretty much defend your mother. Defend your mother. So I went into marriage, and I was torn at that moment. I'm supposed to defend my mom. I'm not married. But reality, I decided, and I've done the transition for my kids. I've done the same thing my, did, did, my dad did for me. My boys know they are absolutely dedicated to the defense of their mom, even against me. When they get married, and this is the tough part for mom. She didn't like this part when she heard me teaching these things. When they get married, that's done. That is done. They're now got to defend their wife against even us, okay? But that extended family creates a horrible pull on couples. Lots of trouble is created just by navigating you here. We always did it that way. My wife's family is very active. They've got lots of family members. They did lots of stuff with their family. My family, my mom, if we did something and there were kids in the neighborhood, they all went. I know it drove my dad nuts. Because she would pay for all of them. We lived in a fairly poor part of Arizona, and we had lots of people. And in a station wagon before seatbelt laws, you can stuff folks in that thing. Okay, we took a lot of folks a lot of places. Even when we drove to Alaska in 1981, we took a family's friend's son. We stopped in Washington, picked up an aunt and her son, and just came up the highway. Okay, so it creates a different dynamic. I was used to that. My wife wasn't used to that. I had no problem if we had extra folks just around. My wife kind of gets a little nervous by it. It's just different dynamics. Those dynamics create troubles that you've got to deal with. Another dynamic is your dreams and goals. Right now, we all have them. I have some dreams and goals. Okay? Whether they come true or not, we'll wait and see. But one of them was early on, I dreamed of being a doctor. I started in ninth grade. I moved here right at the beginning of ninth grade. After my mom had been out since 64 to 81, we came back, started Bartlett High School. 
got connected with a group that was called Medical Explorers. Boy Scouts had just started these programs, and they were going to hospitals and doing things. But I couldn't walk all the way to Alaska Regional. Okay, I knew I could because several times I would walk from Bartlett to the end of Muldoon where I lived just because I need to get there. But I wasn't going to walk that far. So they said, well, start one at Elmendorf. Can you get to Elmendorf? Elmendorf at that point had no fence. This is prior to 9-11, okay? And all you had to do is walk through the trees and not get caught, meaning that the MPs that were 18 and 19 see you, let the dogs out, you hear them, because at Bartlett when we ran the trails, the MPs just sometimes had fun by letting their dogs out. You hear them, and they just laugh and laugh and laugh because you're climbing trees to get out the way, okay? But I just walked there right through the woods, and I started this program. Unfortunately, there were only three of us that did this program because most of the kids weren't interested, and lots of them didn't want to go to Elmendorf's Hospital. It was kind of a real rundown place at the time. They've now replaced it. But I had a great opportunity. Four years interacted with the pediatrics unit. Every day I wanted to go there, they'd let me go hang out, learn stuff. I went into surgery. This is prior to a lot of these HIPAA regulations, so one old doctor would just drag me everywhere. He was actually a private in World War II for the Nazis because they grabbed him, put him in there. As soon as the war was over, he went to Boston, became a doctor. After 25 years of private practice, said, I want to do something to repay America. So he joined the Air Force to become a doctor. Neat, neat guy, but he just drug me everywhere. I was loving it. I went to college, did great. Went through college, had a couple issues just because I had a bad attitude that happens for a lot of college kids. Got, you know, a little sideways with the professor. Grade went this way a little bit. But everything was on track. I had to come finish school in Alaska because I was going broke. And that was great. I am still, to my knowledge, the only undergraduate science student to publish his own research internationally, and they get in trouble for it because we're supposed to list the professor and all his friends and then me. What the professor that I worked with said, you did all the work. We're going to put you at the top. And I did that. So I had that. I had the oil spill. I worked for the federal government, Louisiana State University, and the head of it wrote me this huge letter, and then he also wrote me a thing saying, please decide to come here and do research for me and join my program. I'll give you a master's degree for free. I didn't like research that much, and I wanted to be a doctor. But I got the first letter in three years. I was the 11th. The Whammy program has 10 slots. Now it has 20. I was number 11. The second year, I was number 11. The third year, I was number 11. So I was the alternate three years in a row. At that point, they told me, because one of the professors worked in the program, they'll only look at you three times. You need to move to Texas because they've got lots of medical schools. Lots of people move there just to go to become a doctor because it's easier to get in. So I'm at this point where my dream is to become a doctor, but I also got my wife and now my son. And I'm looking, and they're way more important to me. And we had friends that I knew that had gone into medical school and really struggled. They had horrible behaviors going on. They were all single even. They weren't married. Here I am married. I'm like... I'd really like my wife a whole lot better than what's going on. I don't want, because I knew what I, I'm bad, okay? I know I'd do bad things, and that would just push me. So we decided, no, I could have gotten angry and bitter and mad and taken it out on her and on my son that now I'm not going there, I'm not doing that, we're staying here. No, okay? That was a potential serious trouble that could have just driven us apart. 
reality, the dreams change. When we got married, the two of us had to become one. Some of her dreams changed, some of my dreams changed. We're finding dreams together, okay? But it's an easy thing that causes stress and struggles. Another trouble for all of us is health. When we got married, like most people that get married, we think, you know, we say the words, you know, sickness and in health. You never, ever, ever have a clue at the moment when you say that, that things can go bad. The first year we were married, we lived in a Hope Cottage group home for four disabled or developmentally disabled adults. We had a little tiny, tiny apartment downstairs. Every 14 days, we got like a day off. The rest of the time, you were just there. Okay, and they think you're their parent. They just love you and want to be around you all the time, and it's tough. But my wife got sick with our first son. And we thought it was the flu, and she wasn't getting better. Pretty soon, she can just barely function. So we have to load all the four adults, and her and I go to Providence, and they rush her into the hospital because she's near dead. She's gotten so dehydrated, everything's shutting down. I am just out of my mind with just chaos. Okay, that's a big trouble, big, big trouble. But that wasn't even near as bad as it gets. Okay, you get over because things worked out. We luckily didn't lose our first son in that event, but, and it was close, just eight years ago, and my wife didn't buy into this. And when we got married, this was not part of the plan, even though we talked about it, because I got sick in 1989 in the Army, and we knew that there might be an issue, but she really, you know, just like all of us, it's all going to be perfect. In 2003, I ran smack headlong into mental illness, just a bam, destroyed. She didn't buy into that. It's, you don't think those things will happen. And then to have to walk through it is just flat out tough. And we've been believers the whole time. But we couldn't get believers to come up and I can't function. I'm going to church sitting there I'm on so much meds, I'm barely breathing because things ain't working. And they'll walk up to her and say, you know, we're praying for you. He's just got sin in his life, and if he gets rid of the sin in his life, he'll be okay. Did that part grow out? Or get folks that, you know, it'll be okay, but if he doesn't get better, you know, it, you know and they hem and haw around about, well, you can just, you know, if you leave them, we'd understand. And you need to understand, I had a therapist that was working with me. And after several weeks, I got the clue that we'd gone from here to here. And she was getting me ready to get divorced. Because 90% of couples that work in mental illness don't make it. So I told her. I said, I can't see you anymore. I said, I got to find somebody else to help me. She's like, what? 
I said, I'm part of 10%. I'm not going to lose my life. And thanks to the grace of God, we're walking through it. First service, I said, walk through it, and it don't go away. There's no magic wand. It's just who I am, and she walks with me through it. Luckily, it's been going pretty good, but reality, she did not buy into that. She did not think that was going to happen, and that's a trouble with the big T. That's big. You got to deal with those things. And that's what Paul's talking about. You buy into getting married. You are taking on not just the issues that you have, but you're adding a layer. Okay, you're adding a layer. Now, what about singles? Because I don't want to lose anybody because I really think the church corporate service is meant for, to be for everybody, believer, non-believer, all of us. I'm going to use first, not first, there's only one James. James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This is trouble. We're all going to face it, every single one of us. Do you ever have somebody tell you that when you become a Christian, you're going to just be done with trials and everything's going to be perfect, you know, everything's going to work out? They're lying to you. I feel bad because they're just flat out lying to you. You are always going to have struggles. There's always going to be issues. There's going to be things you have to overcome, things you have to deal with. Now, after two months working on this and thinking about it and praying about it and reading about it, I've realized that I create almost all of my trouble, whether it's stuff I do on purpose or whether it's stuff I just choose not to do. Most all of it is right here. My wife last night laid in bed. She goes, so do you mean that your bipolar was your fault? Because we've talked about this a lot. Because some people, ah, yeah, yeah, you could have, could have, could have, could have, and there's no couldas. If you don't struggle with mental illness, you don't really understand because there can just happen. You can have your best life situation, eat every right meal, drink, sleep all the right times, do everything correctly, and all of a sudden you just wham. It happens. But reality, a lot of the stuff I deal with is right here. It's my deal. Okay? We do it to ourselves. We like to think everybody else is causing it, but reality, we do it to ourselves. We bring it on ourselves. Now, what is it about getting married? You're adding a layer, and an analogy for this is that in the military, we got privates. That's where you begin, and then you move up, and you may make it to sergeant. At sergeant, you now have more responsibility, but you also have more opportunities to mess it up. You got more responsibilities. There's more opportunities to mess up, impact other people. You move up to captain, you got even way more responsibilities and opportunities to screw things up. Same thing with getting married. When you're single, you're responsible for you. And yes, you've got friends and connections and whatever, but your spiritual walk is yours. Your development is yours. All those issues are just yours, and you get to work on it. You also get the opportunity to move and flow differently. Adjust differently. When you get married, you all of a sudden become responsible, and they become responsible for you. You become one. You're working to become one. You need to work together, develop each other, work on your faith, work on your character, work, build each other up. So it's an additional layer. 
It's more. It's above and beyond. So why get married? 1 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, is marriage really about just fulfillment of passion? Is that what, because this is Paul before the first verse, is that really what it's about? Is it simply just so you're not getting yourself frustrated and trouble because you got this passion you can't hold on to or control? No, that's not the only thing. Okay, that's definitely not the only thing. Because if you remember back at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis, God created Adam, and then shortly after created Eve to be a helpmate, to fulfill Adam, to be a partner. When we get married, often what happens, and we don't even realize it because we're in that la, 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 everything's perfect world. In reality, we've picked somebody that has qualities that we don't have, aspects that we don't have that can help us. My wife is way different than I am. Okay, and she's my helpmate. And the other part of it is, is and I love this because this is one of my opportunities, is in my classroom, I teach high school chemistry and physics. And my students sometimes, like teenagers, do get to nagging each other over stuff. When they nag each other over the boy-girl thing, I say, hey, guys, guys, relax. What? They're better than you. What? Remember? First was guys, and then was girls. And it went in order on perfection, and so they were last. Who's better? And then one of them will always, you're not supposed to talk about the Bible. Oh, I don't remember I was. Okay, but reality, okay, in reality, we got to work together. Okay, it's not just about passion. It's about the fact that the two of us are working it together, and it's not just that. What about procreating, having children? It's not, that's a wonderful blessing, even though I told you they're trouble. Okay, that doesn't mean just all of a sudden decide, oh, Johnny, you're gone because you're trouble. No, children are a tremendous blessing. I love my children. I love doing things with them and learning with them and all the stuff that goes along with having children. And think about if Christian couples did not have children, how effective would that be? We'd just be self-defeating. We would not end up having very many believers because pretty soon there wouldn't be many because for a lot of us, me included, my children are my number one mission field. They may be the only person that I ever lead to Christ. Okay, some people say, that should be wrong. And yeah, kind of, but reality, many of us are just going to be disciple makers. We're going to be people that build people up, encourage people, use our gifts. And we may not have the opportunity of knowing that we've helped somebody get to Christ. Some of us are just one stepping stone in a long list of stepping stones. So we may not be at that pinnacle point where they bend their knee. Okay, in reality, you get to see that with your kids. You get to invest in your kids. Okay, so procreating is probably one of the very valuable things in marriage. And in reality, I want to make sure it's clear. The Bible does not endorse premarital sex or premarital birth. That does not mean, once again, just like divorce. It doesn't mean that things cannot be redeemed that go wrong. Okay. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden because you got this going on in your life, that can't be addressed and fixed. But reality, okay, children are a part of marriage. That is a good thing. But what is it really for? What does marriage do for us? And after thinking about it, praying about it a long time, what I realized for me and possibly for you, 
it is the greatest sanctification tool I've ever had. Marriage has been the number one thing that has changed me for the better. Okay, because my wife can talk to me. We spend 24-7 together pretty much. We see each other all the time. And she has the ability to speak into my life and tell me things that no one else can. And sometimes she can do it in very unique ways that don't come across as hostile or condemning. She can just put things out there and the same thing. Now, I can do it the reverse and she can do it the reverse. But the same thing, I can minister to her. I can encourage her. It is not what I hear too often. Colleagues of mine, some of the guys will say, you know, you get caught, you do something, somebody teases you and say, oh, she trained you well. Okay, no, she shouldn't. I mean, I don't really think your spouse wants you to be some mind-dead zombie walking around waiting to be told what to do. Reality, we should be training each other. And my wife has been training me. I've been training her. We work together through things. We come together. She has been encouraging me, like, this morning service, we did a thing, as I mentioned, Laugh Your Way to Better Marriage, and it talked about one of the issues was guys just want their wife to say, nice job. My wife was sitting right back there, and all through the message, I kept going like this, and the whole time, and then at the end, lots of people said, nice job, but reality, when she walked up and gave me a kiss and a hug, that was it. I knew it went pretty good, okay, and she encouraged me because she knows how freaked out this makes me. This is like the ultimate litmus test for my mental health. If I can do this, I'm having a pretty healthy day, okay, because this is stressful up here. But, okay, reality, we build each other up. We encourage each other. We help each other change. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have setbacks, and that doesn't mean that we don't have difficulties or that we miscommunicate. All those things can still happen, but for me, the greatest piece of marriage is just the process of growing together. When he said two shall become one, okay, that becoming one is that process of developing together, okay, developing together. And for those of you that are single, you need to be thinking about that, okay? How are you going to develop together? That's one of the things I knew how I was going to marry my wife early on. I knew she was it. Boom, done. It took her a while. One day she even told me. I said, I love you. She said, I hope you don't expect me to tell you. <laughs> That's, she wasn't there yet. But we talked so much at the beginning about family and religion and la, 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 that I knew there was no way. I'd had a few girlfriends that just had no clue about any of that. They hadn't even thought. And we were just dialoguing a lot. She was a little nervous because I was a little bit of a hostile rebel and she had a little bit of issue with you know some of those things so it took her a while to get to the same point okay but reality we build each other up and we come together in our faith and work together at it sanctifying each other growing in Christ together now how can we overcome the troubles that were brought up by Paul that he's worried about what can we do one of the things that I like about church time is getting something that can help first reading Okay, for all of us, whether we're married, single, widowed, whatever, reading. Now, the Bible first, okay? The Bible's a great, great reference for everything, pretty much. And, fellas, okay, because I mentioned it is Valentine's Tuesday for you guys that didn't figure this out. But some of us get in this rut of, oh, she just doesn't really like me. You know, we've been married a while. I've been married 20 years now, and, you know, things come, things go, things change. But 
if you think she may not like you or you're working on stuff and you want to connect with her a little bit, turn to the middle of the Bible. Laying in bed, open the middle of the Bible and say, I'd like to read to you. In 30 minutes or less, you will be done with the Song of Solomon. Well, it's a good book. <laughs> okay? It's a good book. I've done it once. I think I've done it twice, but I remember absolutely once where I did it. And she was just amazed. It was a great time of connecting and talking and just getting back together online. And there's others, like Ephesians has some great material in it on marriage and the value of marriage and the purpose of building each other up and loving on each other and caring for each other. But besides the Bible, there's a huge amount of material written by Christian authors that are dedicated to the truth of Scripture. Family Life is one of the organizations that has a lot of these resources. But there are lots and lots of resources on marriage that are very, very uplifting and building that are great to read. Okay, my son, the oldest, last year before he left for college, he came out one day and he goes, Dad, I'm a little worried about you and Mom. What? Your headboard has all these books on marriage. Are you guys doing okay? <laughs> but early on, I was always a little irritated. She'd go, can we read this? Yeah. Okay, we read it, and there's some good stuff in there. Okay, no, I'm not the most relational person in the world. Luckily, I'm a little more now because I've been married to a very relational person. But reality, there's some really, really good stuff in there. And sometimes she goes, why do you do this? Well, because then you're pretty happy with me for a little bit at least. So, But I grow from that. You can grow from that. Singles, you can do the same thing. There's some good stuff to read on marriage, and especially if you're on that edge of getting married. I would absolutely tell you you need to do some premarital mentoring, counseling. My wife and I did it with a couple for six weeks we met. The funny thing is we had a book from the Catholic Church to go over, and the couple that were doing it with us were doing the book, and they asked us more questions than we asked them because we'd already talked about this stuff, and they'd, they'd been married 17 years and hadn't talked about some of these key things. It was amazing to us, but it was still time to dialogue. Then we met with some other people to talk about. That's important. But get that reading in. Do some digging in, especially into the Word. Second, and this part some guys just hate, conferences, seminars, and presentations. Most guys hear that like this, laugh your way to a better marriage. My brother-in-law came, which was an awesome thing, especially because he thanked me Saturday when we were done because he's not really connected to the church thing, and his wife was thrilled he came. But most of us guys are like, oh, those are just for the folks that are struggling in their marriage. They don't have good marriage. Ah, we're doing just fine. Reality, there's lots of great stuff. It also gives you a time to focus on each other, ignore the kids, have time apart from them, focus on each other, learn some stuff. And there's some things you get to go do. Like one time we were traveling in Colorado. We stopped, just a plug for them. The Navigators own a castle in Colorado. It's next to Colorado Springs, just north. It's actually part of the Garden of the Gods. And a dude built this castle for his wife. She would, didn't ever come back to live in it, which is a funny story. If you go there, they'll tell you all about it. But he tucked this castle in between the mountains, planted a bunch of trees that don't normally grow there. He was also smart enough to buy all the water around so he could water these trees, and they still own the water sources. It's one of the places you can do that. And these trees are huge now. It's this beautiful, lush valley. And you get to go there, and you got this beautiful castle. And they do an awesome job of ministering to folks. And my wife and I went there to a couple's getaway. And then later, because it was such a great deal, 
when we drove through just two years ago on a seven-week road trip looking at colleges, it just lined up perfect for a family multi-generational retreat. We drug the kids to it at first. They're like, oh. Afterwards, at the end of the trip when we flew home, you ask them, oh, what did you like the best? That was the one thing they liked the best. It was amazing that they, it was just such a wonderful place to be and just connect with each other. Doing those things, guys, ladies are all like, yes, I wish you would, okay, gives you time to build together. The third thing, life groups, and this applies to everybody. My life group on Wednesday evening has a little bit of everybody, okay? We got married couples and unmarried couples or unmarried individuals. We got people that no longer... They are not widowed. We have divorce. We got it all. But life groups, life groups are a huge blessing. You've got the opportunity to walk through life with like-minded believers primarily. Once in a while, you get folks that are searching it out. But they're believers that are willing to invest in you and encourage you and build you up. They come alongside. Like when I got sick, like I said, in 2003, it's our life group that saved us. There's a guy. Avoided this. There's a guy that came every day. And just hung out. I don't even remember him. He's there every day. I still meet with him now. We get together once a week. We got kids similar age, but he was part of my life group. The ladies. Just kept supporting my wife. Prior to that, years ago, when we first started doing life groups, all of us would interact. We'd help each other, deal with stuff, deal with life. Sometimes you don't have the major issues go on, but you get to encourage each other. You get to build each other up. You can't get that other places. So I know that you've heard it as home groups, care groups, community groups, small groups. Now we're using the term life group. That doesn't matter. What matters is that you're connecting with people. And you can be single. You can be divorced. You can be widowed. You can be a couple. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you're connecting with people. And you're being built up and encouraged. It's critical piece. You can't do this alone. I know that many of us bought into the old... You know, I do it my way thing. I'm a guy. I can do it alone. La, la, blah, blah. That just does not work. I'm telling you now. I have tried it and suffered. Number four. Stay committed to open communication. The easiest thing that happens to a couple is you get frustrated because it happens to me even yesterday. It happens all the time. I get frustrated, and I don't want to talk to her, okay? And I just get mad, and I move over here, and she gets mad and moves over there. And we don't talk to each other. We don't communicate. We start to isolate. We start to draw apart from each other when we should be pulling together because some of the communication is tough, but work through it, stay committed to it. We're committed to it. That doesn't mean it doesn't always work sometimes real weird. There's not many nights where we haven't, you know, We've been in conflict, and we go to bed, go to sleep, and wake up and try to deal with it the next day. Usually, it's got to be dealt with then because otherwise, we just don't sleep, okay? And even sometimes, we're just rude enough that we'll just lay in bed, toss and turn. We know we're mad at each other, but we're not willing to talk yet, and it's not productive. But you got to work through it, but stay committed to it. We're still committed to it, okay? But you've got to keep your open communication. As soon as you shut down communication, it's going to come down. It's going to fall apart. 
The most important, though. The most important, the fifth. And this is the one, you know, I am nowhere near perfect, and this is the one I'm still working on and trying and trying and trying and trying, is pray together. I've heard this since the beginning of going to church. And seven years old is where my memory starts, pretty much. Pray with your wife, pray with your wife, pray with your wife, pray with your spouse, pray with your spouse. Reality, it's tough to do, but it is probably the most important piece. The reason for that is that when you pray with your spouse, and I'm not talking about the little la-la prayer, you know, please keep our house up, please, you know, let me have a good night, whatever, you know, just a little stuff that we do, so like praying over a meal, thanks for the food, now let me eat kind of thing. I'm talking about really praying. Praying, you know, I don't know what we're going to do about paying these bills because we're running a little short. I don't know what's going on with our son down in Laramie. Pray for him. Pray for each other. It's not just the two of you communicating. You're communicating with God. And the Holy Spirit is going to work on you. And it's tough to do because you're opening yourself wide up. Okay, you're letting all your vulnerability out there. And you're just opening wide up. Okay, you can live right next with somebody, sleep in the same bed, and never really be vulnerable to them. But when you start really praying together, you're absolutely vulnerable. And it will build a marriage back up. And it's tough to do. There's times I forget. My wife really wants us to do it more often. And it would be sometimes it'll go a week and we just get busy and we forget or like lots of things happen. We wait, we wait, we wait. We get tired. We lay down in bed and pretty soon I'm out. Okay? That can happen. Just keep working through it. But that fifth one, the praying together. And even if you're single and you've got a girlfriend or it's getting real serious, Okay, you're even on the edge of getting married, you're engaged, whatever. Be praying with each other. Break that ice early. Fix it early. Deal with it early so it just carries through because it'll carry you on. It is probably the most important. Now in closing, the worship team can go ahead and start getting themselves ready. This is February 7th to February 14th, this National Marriage Week. This is... A huge topic. It is a wonderful blessing. Please understand, I, I just love the fact that I'm married to my wife. Marriage is a tremendous blessing, a tremendous opportunity for growth. But more importantly, to close out, guys, I would much rather have you spend 364 days building your wife up than worrying about Tuesday. Okay. Yes, Tuesday is Valentine's Day, but I hope you don't save it for one day a year. That's not going to go well over the long term. But I do pray that today you were able to gather, no matter your position in life, you were gathered to grab hold of something. Okay, And if perchance or something I said, some piece of the message, because reality, my brain's over here just spinning and I'm trying to get it all in, feel free to talk to me afterwards. This is my only second time. I'd love to hear things to change, things to do differently. It won't make me feel bad. And also, if you're interested in the downtown soup kitchen, I'll be right in the back next to our bulletin board for the soup kitchen if you want more information on that. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share. Thanks for the opportunity you give me to just share pieces of your word and things that I've prayed about and things that you've given me to share with others. I'm hoping it's been a blessing to people, that it's an encouragement, that we're able to take this forward and share it with others and just help improve our life. And that's what we're really here for is to continue walking, to get closer and closer to you, Lord. And I just pray that 
will continue to open our eyes and open our hearts to your word and uh, discipleship available through coming together as a body and ministering to each other. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship God one more time.